I'm Austin Basis, and this is Actors Speak, where actors speak and I listen. Welcome back to part two of my interview with actress Nina Lissandrello as we continue the conversation. So besides, you know, besides having fun and besides these tools you've picked up over the years to kind of become more relaxed and more yourself and more available, Mm. is there, do you think there's an essential element of a scene uh, without which the scene won't work as an actor, you know, approach wise, like we're talking about like relaxation, objectives, tactics, all these choices that you have to make about actions and motive and subtext. But then there's also like the Meisner stuff that the the listening and the spontaneity and uh, what you've been talking about, like what you loved watching is the connecting with the other actor or the character. And then there's ultimately like the emotional life or, or truth of the character. Do you think there's one element in a scene as an actor that you need to have locked down before you execute that scene successfully? Vulnerability. I think that vulnerability is truth. And I I think it's a cocktail of vulnerability and empathy. And, you know, I've worked with some really killer actors. And watching a woman like Edie Falco just tell the truth in every moment. Yikes. I mean, it's when you see where the bar is, and there's there's a difference with watching the performance and also but also experiencing the performance and going oh my god she is so tapped into something i have so much work to do and this will be a life's work and i think when i decided hey i'm just going to keep failing forward and trying to reach that level of Laurie Metcalf, of Edie Falco, of Tilda Swinton, of Kate Blanchett. I mean, these actresses are scary. I mean, these performances are scary. And I say that with the utmost respect because I just don't see the work. A big part of it, though, is that there's a wisdom to these women. And I remember an actress, amazing actress, amazing artist, actually, but I won't say her name. We were in a class, and I think that's a big thing in acting class. You kind of know. You're just like this. These are the ones to watch. Like, there's something very special about these actors, and she was very special. She is very special. And she was doing a scene with, you know, it's a lover's quarrel. And she did the whole scene with her back to the audience. And I remember being like, what is she, the hell is she doing? But she's just one of those cool artists where you're like, yeah, I guess you could. Like, you know, she's just that chick. And and of course, Bill stops the scene and he's like, what are you doing? You can't do an entire scene when you're back to us. I can't see you, like you're hiding. And she just had this moment where she stopped and she said, listen, Cause he was like, what's going on? What's going on with you? And you know what? Like in thinking about it, it's so, acting class is tough. Cause you're working out like your personal shit too. I mean, what a, what a complicated room. And she just said, listen, 
I vowed to myself a long time ago that I would never let a man treat me like this. I would never let a man hurt me. So, and in the scene, obviously it's a lover's quarrel. He's hurting her. They're hurting each other. And she said, you know, as her, she said, listen, I said to myself a long time ago, I would never let a man treat me like this. And, you know, you, you just saw the tough veneer come over her. You saw it. You saw the defense mechanism come over her. And Bill's like, <laughs> okay, go sit down, which no actor wants to hear. No actor wants to hear go sit down. And he just said, listen, it's your job as an actor to be hurt. It's your job as an actor to experience things. I'm not here to watch the wall of you. I'm not here to watch the veneer. It is your job to experience life in every single corner of it. It all informs your work. So to, uh, you know, to legislate, I'll, I'll never let someone hurt me. No way. He said, no, that's, that's not your job as an actor. Your job as an actor is to be receptive. And it was one of those things where, of course, she came back and the scene was beautiful. The scene, because there's usually a direct correlation with what you're fighting the most is what you're the most gifted at, is what you understand the most to the point that the defense mechanism had to be built. But how beautiful to watch somebody take down the wall and then just tell the truth and be in the moment and... I think that that is the actor's job. And it's also a, a respect for different life paths and different cultural and economic and global experiences. And I had another teacher say, really, walk the world. You know, she was like, walk the streets of New York. And you and I are very lucky that we're from New York. We're very lucky. It's a very, very stimulating. It is the hub of culture in the United States. And I remember a teacher saying, make sure that Maggie Flanagan, that was her name. Great, great acting teacher. She said, have an opinion about everything. What do you like? What don't you like? Have an opinion about everything. And that also feeds into my work as a director, as an actor, because I remember Bill once calling a scene I did general, and it was one of the most mortifying moments. He was like, wow, it's like you don't remember anything about, like, he just went off. And wow. he said, yeah, he was like, this was worse than bad. It was general. I'm just watching two actors skate. I'm just watching two actors do it and go through the motions, but nothing. I don't, I feel nothing. And that was like, oh man. So yeah, I think the more that you know who you are, because listen, those actresses that I just listed are incredibly authentic. There is no other Tilda Swinton. There is no other Laurie Metcalf. And that's okay. There's no other Viola Davis. There's no other Taraji or Regina King. And that's the beauty of being an actor. And the more you try to be like other people and get general, 
the, that's the biggest trap. That's, that's not your job. That is, I mean, that's a, I just love all that. It's the, the idea. (laughs) No, it's, it's a really profound answer to, you know, kind of like a simple question. The, or not a simple question, a question that is basically multiple choice. The thing that you talked about is like the vulnerability and that, you know, that emotional daring. I do feel like vulnerability is ultimately like a deepened relaxation of your emotions. It, mm. the, ability, the ability to have all of your emotions available at any given moment we call it vulnerability in a sense because it almost sounds like a weakness if you're vulnerable, you know, like in life, but as an actor mm. to be vulnerable and to be open to all those emotions at, at the drop of a hat. If I was that kind of a person or an actor, I could just do Meisner and not have to worry about the sensory stuff that I have to do to like <laughs> go into it. I would just be available to like, you know, cry, laugh, you know, yell, be, uh, betrayed or mortified or you know feel a sense of loss in the moment you know someone like billy uh, william h macy is kind of like that or robert duvall oh. you know um those yeah. guys are very so on the moment and so with the ability to go everywhere but actors like me and you have to like sometimes make an effort sometimes it comes easy but sometimes we make an effort when it comes to like there's like going to be a three-part question so you have you know, your preparation for an audition versus set, you know, when you have the part versus when you don't have the part, the uh, preparation for comedy versus drama, and then the preparation for all of those based on where the actual final project will be, whether it's a TV project, a film project, the different mediums. So if that affects your your thought and, and approach to the character. Um, and obviously there's a time limit on the, the audition versus having a part and having a week, maybe even more, uh, to prepare something. Oh God. Okay. Essentially, I'm just gonna give a rundown of like biggest audition moments I've had. Cause I, I do think your podcast is essentially about helping actors and, you know, just telling private stories. So, okay. Um, when I was mentioning before that I've read scenes and just gone, this is mine. This is for me. This role is, I understand her on a visceral level. I had a moment like that with the HBO pilot. And I remember just deciding, I knew exactly what she looked like. And I said, I have to cut all my hair off for an audition. And we're not talking a callback. Okay, we're not talking a director session. We're not talking producer session. This was the first. And I went to the hairdresser, my friend Jackie, and I was like, cut all my hair off. She's like, what are you talking about? I have an, I was like, I have an audition in three hours and her hair is a bob. It's not long. It's this hair. I do not recommend doing that. It was very silly and insane, but I did get the part. <laughs> I did get the part. And I do think that a big thing that I've learned as an actor is that nobody really knows what they're doing in film and TV and theater. Like so much of the experience as the casting director, as the director, 
And now that I'm really stepping into directing, I want an actor to elevate the material. I want the actor to do stuff that I was not expecting. And wow. And to just really bring it to life. That's the job is really bring this to life. So I think the visuals of it are crucial in terms of what is the jacket? What are the shoes? You know, a bit, another reason why Tess was so close to me was because I was the only woman at the audition who was wearing sneakers. And because everybody was wearing like sexy boots and I'm just like, no, you know, Tess is a very flawed character. She is borderline an alcoholic and the person, you know, there's like cup of noodles on the couch and, you know, she has like eye crusties when she gets to the crime <laughs> scene and she's, you know, wearing like a, a Hanes t-shirt with stains on them and like throwing on her jacket at the scene. Like, okay, sorry, what do we have? Like she was heavily based on that Dennis Franz character. Sorry, I should know his name. Sipowitz. I remember, I remember thinking Sipowitz for Tess because I just wanted to see a very flawed woman. And so I created that. And then, you know, the powers that be turned it into something else. And listen, you, you know, it is what it is. But that was a huge part of any audition that I've had. I've really tried to take the time to find the the kernel, the detail of a, like, what does it mean to have, like, that kind of haircut? It means she's controlling. It means... Like, or that's what it means to me. And everybody will have their own definition of that. But when I have that and when I'm in those clothes, when I'm in that pencil skirt and those shoes and that heel, I mean, every single detail, once you put the costume on, you're her. There's really no work to do after that. You just leave it at the door. And now it's time to just listen. And now it's time to just have fun because I did all the work. I've found, I've figured out where she's from. I've figured out what she's into, what she's not into. And then now it's time to be receptive because I've never met the other actors. I don't know what they're bringing. And I mean, you just hope and pray. And usually it's a bunch of very talented people just elevating what you've already created. Like, wow, I didn't expect this. So, I mean, and that's, that's the magic. That's when it just gets better and better and more heightened. And I do, yeah, I think essentially once you are on set, the tricky thing is making it fresh every time and keeping the character evolving and the chemistry with everyone in the room. And it's a muscle you just, that comes with time. Yeah, of course. You you have to exercise it. And there is almost a, doing a TV show is almost like doing a long running show, like a play, except you're doing different material each week, but as the same character. So it's a constant exploration of the same themes and issues with your character, with new circumstances kind of thrown in your way. And sometimes new- Perfectly put. Sometimes new facts that you didn't know until like three seasons in and you're like, Wait, what? Um, Wait, huh? But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So do you uh, change up 
where you put your focus and priorities, whether it's you know the what you're wearing or or how you're approaching a character when it's a comedy or drama, do you shift it? Okay. Or, yeah. So the the whole thing the whole thing I've learned over the years is that comedy and drama are the same thing, and comedy is serious business and. I love comedy because it is essentially the truth just coming at you at a speed that people aren't used to. That's Ann Patchett's line. I wish it was mine. But she sums it up perfectly because if we're here to tell the truth and we can get to it really fast, something funny is going to happen. Something really special is going to happen. And especially with a show like Beauty and the Beast or even a show like Nurse Jackie, it's a beautiful balance. Every good scene, it's like a really good recipe. You're going to want that salt. You're going to want that sweet, that acid, that heat. It's a, it's a cocktail. And when it all comes together, it's pow. And comedy, I mean, when you can find levity, embrace it. There's no, there's absolutely no difference to me there. I mean, I have experienced comedy probably in the most tragic moments of my life. So I always try to bring that into anything I do. Find the moments to be funny. Yeah. And let it go. Of course, of course. And I find that, you know, comedy is almost more true and more deep at certain points. Uh, but sometimes over the smallest things, you know, I'll go back to another Shirley MacLaine thing, but at the, at the mm. cemetery in Steel Magnolias, where they all start mm. laughing after the funeral. I mean, talk about the, the spectrum of emotions that you could have in a deeply tragic circumstance, but also watching it as an audience that you could feel and maybe tear up in the beginning at the loss of this, you know, this woman's daughter, Sally Field's daughter, and then the 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 target that they put on Shirley MacLaine's character Weezer to uh, to like just Snap have a laugh. It. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We now, also listen. Yeah. You and I came up with like Death Becomes Her was a really big movie, or like a big formative movie for me. Zemeckis, I mean, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn are so funny in Death Becomes Her. And there's just a sense of taking the piss out of everything. And I think the more you're willing to take the piss out of yourself, out of your character, the more you're willing to have egg on your face, I think the more fun you're gonna have in scenes. I think the more fun you're gonna just have in general. They are, I think, to see and understand the spectrum of skill at a young age, like and to see De Niro in Awakenings, to see Pacino in Scent of a Woman, Robert Duvall in anything, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Midnight Cowboy, it kind of gave me permission of, oh, wait a minute, you can be a very serious, dramatic actor and very, really tough and have those gifts and, you know, whatever, you you know your powers but they sh were powerful in like every direction and that was important because you can get I mean I got locked into it with tests you get locked into stuff with certain decisions you've made for the character and especially when that's what everybody responded to a lot of the time the actor will just keep doing that 
instead of staying versatile and keeping it fresh and in the moment, if you really think about it, Austin, like to be present is the job. And Jane Fonda had this moment on that documentary, Searching for Deborah Winger. Have you seen that? Yes, I saw it uh, years ago, uh, you know, talking with all women and and being actresses, but also like mothers, right? Wasn't it like a, yeah, a parallel yeah. with Robin Wright Penn at the, right? She was in that? She's in it. I mean, it's, it's essentially just all the greats, all these great Hollywood dynamos. And Jane Fonda tells a story about the blackout that you feel as an actor when you hit your mark, you feel the light on you, you know exactly what you want, you know exactly what's happening, just being so present and knowing that she was going to get the Oscar, knowing it, just knowing that a certain magic had happened that was divine and out of her hands. And I call it the blackout. I don't remember if she called it the blackout, but there are moments as an actor. I had it auditioning for tests, like any big audition I've had, if I was doing it well, I blacked out. I just black out. And there was another actress, it's Ellen Burstyn. I had just watched her in Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> and she was talking about the moment, exactly how Jane Fonda had explained it or discussed it, where she just blacked out. She was Jared Leto's mom. Like she was just there and essentially the moments that I had resonated with the most were the moments where she was so present she doesn't even have a memory of it there's such a letting go in acting there's such a release that has to cut because it's it's funny and it's ultimately ironic because to get into this kind of business you have to have a certain type of personality you have to have a certain type of ambition a certain uh chutzpah and moxie to just keep coming back and to just you know i'm not going anywhere and i'm determined to you know i'm an artist and that's just that that's just facts and then you have to go i know nothing i know nothing and i'm a student always and the more i can just let this all go so i've read the scene I know what she looks like. And I know that the more authentic and unique she is, the more the audience is going to be receptive because that's another trap is the likable shit. Worrying about being likable, that's not your job. And I remember constantly going at it with the writers and the producers on Beauty because I was like, Tess, they're like, Tess needs to be more likable. I'm like, no, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. It's not about likable. It's about a direction. She has to be about something. And likable is such a trap, dude. It's just, it's, I find it absolutely crippling. And I found it really interesting because Tony Soprano isn't likable. Why do women always have to be so likable? Yeah. And accommodating. But I also understood what they were saying, where it's just like, you know, there's, there's a balance and I, it was, it, there were things that I had to learn and how to grow as an actor. Like if you're tough, you don't play tough. You don't need to that tough people don't do that. And it's just the thing that comes with time and wisdom. And I think it, as long as you 
are open and having fun and you've done the work, that really specific detail work, I think also you're really flying on your own in an audition. You're really at the mercy of the room. And the more that you can, because you don't know, you don't know if this reader is going to be any good. You have no idea. And when they're great, you know the feeling. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's also what you said before about it being an offering. You do your work and you kind of offer something up and it's, you know, it's not your decision whether it's likable or not. That's a subjective opinion of someone else watching you. And so all you could be responsible for is the authenticity and the the detail of the choices you're making and the depth of truth that you're bringing to the table or the scene. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the more that, you know, actresses like Kristen Johnston just came into my head and just who, um, Allison Janney, Margot Robbie, it's, have you seen Itania? Yep. I mean, what a delight. Like, it doesn't get more fun than that. And you're just watching powerhouses. I mean, that was just some of the best acting I've seen women do in a while, where it wasn't locked into style and they were flawed and they were messy, but they were powerful. They were so powerful. And I love watching women not shrink. I love watching, I guess everybody, I love watching people just be their most charged, elevated, open selves. That is the most entertaining thing you could ask for. How do you feel about watching yourself or seeing yourself on on camera? Is that uh, something that you could be objective about or constructively critical and has that evolved over your career? Yeah, this, uh, that's a great question. I'm going to do the spectrum of petty to growth. So we'll do that. Yep. So, because yeah, I mean, you gotta, gotta tell the truth. We're here for facts. So that Levi's commercial with Fincher, it comes out. I've been waiting. I'm 10. This is a big deal. Everybody stop what you're doing. This commercial is coming out. And I'm like, they, they listen, not until now, like they're giving Oscars for a commercial. Like it was that kind of drama. Like, <laughs> please. It starts. I'm in it for like, if you blink, you miss me. Right. There are no small parts. But imagine telling a 10 year old that. And I was like, whoa, why? It's like not even in the commercial. And I'm like freaking. Just, I'm like, what? So I was like, I can't so much. And they just showed me. I just freaked. And my mom was like, it's not, it's a commercial for jeans, not you, dumb dumb. You know, she was just so funny about the whole thing, like, relax. But I went from that to, you know, studying dailies and being so nitpicky and I do think that you need to especially when you're a novice and I was a novice on Beauty and the Beast like I had been bartending that was that was the first series regular role I'd ever gotten and I would study my dailies like they were game footage and I remember stories of you know Brando on set 
where he would talk to the focus puller like right before they yelled action and he always insisted on just keeping a very like clint eastwood has that where they're like action no it's just just go ahead just start the scene there should be no break in temperament you you weren't normal and now you're acting no the whole thing is living in the moment so i remember like one of my big exercises for myself or challenges was that I don't want to see any break in my behavior when they yell action. Because when you study dailies, you see yourself before the camera's just rolling. And that was always a fun thing for me to try to be like, no, I'm just, I'm just always going to be as grounded as possible. And then cut to, I'm in this movie, Spine of Night with my writing partner, director Phil Gillette and it's an incredible movie but <laughs> when Phil was saying things about the performance and uh, the audience's reaction I remember just not needing the validation anymore I didn't need the aggressive critical eye you know De Niro had said to me once that because I was talking to him about backdrafts and I was like, Did you, have you seen it? And he was like, no. And I'm like, what? You're in it. Like, how have you not seen a movie you're in? I just found that to be insane. And he said, if I'm in the moment, I don't need to watch it. And I never forgot him saying that. And when I did the work for Phil, you know, I essentially had just blacked out. And you just yeah that's it you know you just you do your work it's not about the ego stuff anymore it's not about do they like me it's just being present and in the moment and then just letting it go just yeah just having fun and not being so critical and the more risks and the more fun you have it'll it'll all bleed into the work in a beautiful way yeah, I think I uh, just read an article that Colleen sent me from the New York Times that had nothing to do with acting, but they talked about flow or being in the flow, mm. that there is a zone that you hit when you're uh, an artist, a musician, an actor, a writer, or even someone that does something more technical. Let's say you're a researcher or like uh, a scientist or a flight, what's it called, a pilot. There's a zone where you're in the flow. And I, I liken that to what you're saying about blackout. I also feel that that comfort and that flow happens more easily when you've done a role like as a series regular for a while or a play. I, I find it much more difficult because I have less experience jumping onto a set, whether it's as a guest star or a recurring role or in a movie and just dropping into the pool you know the or the river right. and flowing with everything that's around me i have to just be in a little more control so that the circumstances i can't control don't affect my my work as much i understand exactly what you're saying is there a preference you have with uh rehearsals uh, or rehearsal in general do you like a lot of rehearsal and then in turn do you like a lot of takes on set or does it depend on the scene or the project? If it's like an emotional scene, I can imagine you not wanting to do a lot of takes, but outside of that. Yeah, I 
is it Spielberg who does a lot? I think Spielberg does a lot of takes. And then and then I, you know, Fincher I definitely does. Clint Eastwood. Right. And I yeah, I think And Clint Eastwood does one or two. Exactly. And I think it all depends on what process has just worked for you. I sometimes, I'm sure you know, and wifey knows, Colleen Basis, sometimes the beauty of constantly rehearsing a scene is that you just, listen, I've prepped the audition, but when Colleen enters the picture, I discover new stuff. And okay, so now we're going to rework this. You know, the scene, it just depends on how long it takes to find the nugget and what makes the scene special and those really fun moments, I think, in the master, in the rehearsal, right? And then you're going in for coverage and it's essentially whatever, if it's one take, great. If it's not, but I also understand doing multiple takes because I do think that it can really break down the actor in a great way. Because that's a big part of Meisner where it's like you're doing these repetition exercises. It's like, your shirt is red. My shirt is red. Your shirt is red. My shirt is red. Yeah. And that is, <laughs> that's what Meisner is teaching you is like to be in the moment as much as possible. And I think a lot of the time, really fun stuff happens when you're tired when you're just a little bit worn down. But I also, listen, we don't know how much Clint Eastwood and Sean Penn and Laura Linney, we don't know how much rehearsal and prep has gone into not needing a lot of takes in Mystic River. Somewhere, a lot of work was done because I'm watching masterful performances that don't just come out of thin air. So I don't know what, I, you know, I feel like with Scorsese, with Clint Eastwood and these directors who really, who came up in the 70s, we, you know, Raging Bull, if you study the making of that film, the priority was always truth. You know, I mean, think about an actor like Harvey Keitel. These guys are so masterful at, at depicting humanity. And it does not just come out of thin air and it's masterful. And I, I think it comes with time. And when you study the making of these great films, a lot of time and a lot of care went into them. And that's going to be different than a TV series that has to stick to certain schedules. You know, so I think ultimately especially now in this day of day and age where everything is so fast, it's information craziness. It really is up to the actor to find that peace and to find that sincerity and devotion and presence in their work and in their art because of the whirlwind that surrounds you. That's your work. That's your private work, you know, and that's, I, I do think ultimately being an actor is a very abundant, but also very private craft. Yeah. It's a private, intimate craft that you share in public, <laughs> basically. Uh, right. And it's, and listen, listen, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but one thing oh, yeah. that I really do think is an important thing to mention. If you don't know, just ask, 
a big thing is you don't necessarily have to have all the answers. And I think it's a really unfair pressure that artists put on themselves. And I think a good director is very respectful of what an actor needs. Are you okay with me giving you notes in front of people? Or do you want me to pull you off to the side? Like, what is it that you like? What is it that makes you feel safe? Because that's my job as the director is to make people feel safe enough to take chances and to bring these scenes to life. And that doesn't mean that it's a one size fits all thing. And that's, that's ultimately the challenge. Yeah. I was just listening to, uh, or watching, I should say, uh, one of these Oscar roundtables with the actresses nominated or that were to be nominated. And I forget who it was that said, you know, film is kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. And the fact that you bring it all together in a production, pre-production, filming it with the crew, and then in post-production, it all comes together is like a friggin' miracle. But it goes to, they were talking about like, have you ever watched yourself and, and said, oh, I hate what I did there, or I, I would have done something different. And you like, they were like, maybe we should create a show that where you could go back and film, refilm certain scenes in your life and, and do what you wanted to do. But then ultimately it's not gonna be better. It's gonna probably be worse because you're not gonna be in the same moment. And it's all like hindsight is 2020. It's literally lightning in a bottle. And, and sometimes I'll find that whether it's an improv moment dialogue wise or just a thought that I had in that specific moment that only came out of the work I put in and happened to come upon a, a thought or an impulse in a moment that I hadn't planned and I see it, mm. I'm always kind of like pleasantly surprised. I haven't done that much improv, but I always find myself when I'm working in process using improv and also kind of respecting the demands of it because I think that you have to be much more locked in to actually improv well for something, drama or comedy. Have you done a lot of on-camera or improv work? I'm talking about like character and, and on-camera I think stuff. you're selling yourself... Yeah, listen, Austin, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short because you are one of the funniest improv actors I've ever worked with. So nice try. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, some of that stuff Jay, is planned, no, though. No, but dude, you... I mean, JT said shit that... Listen, if you make me laugh in a take, the shit was hilarious. And you've always had a skill, a New York, uh, I'm calling you out. I mean, you're a laser, dude. And nobody can get away with anything with you, which, is, which was such a fun thing for me when Tess and JT had this relationship because I always knew that I really had to deliver for you because you know th that kind of scheduling and series regulars you know we get into ruts and you just get into like this weird formula that you've locked into and I always loved working with you because I never knew what was going to come and I also knew that there was a lot of expertise put into the scene already that I needed to match out of respect, out of the, the respect for the audience. You've always had a tremendous respect for 
the audience, for the beasties. It's always been an offering, and that was always, that was one of the biggest gifts that I got out of that series. And I thank you for that. And Jay Ryan and I were once talking about improv. And I said to him, because listen, also as a writer, yeah, I mean, I wrote the scene, but if you guys can elevate this and that means a little something gets added here and something gets added there, or even things just change drastically, as long as it's elevating, I'm just going to receive this abundance. I'm just going to receive and let it go. It's it's one of the best feelings in the world. And I was talking to Jay Ryan about how I was like, I've never booked a part where I didn't improvise during the audition. And he went, oh my God, you know, I think, yeah, same. There's always this element of, I th- and I think it happens during the blackout, to be honest, because usually it is at the end. It is like a button. You know, there's this something. And that was what JT was so funny. Like, you were so funny at putting a button on the scene. Like, really just going, and that's that. The the, the frosting, the ribbon. The cherry on the icing. Re- exactly. You were always the cherry on the icing, which is such a gift for directors and also editors. Because you have an out. What's really funny is they kept giving me really funny, like comedy punchlines to come in at the end of a scene, sometimes just as a like an entry and I say a line and the scene's over, especially mm-hmm. when it was the group scenes, right? And it was just, right. it was literally to have a comedic button on the scene and they would cut it out because it was too funny sometimes because I was like, I laughed at it when I read it. I know those right. lines are funny when I laugh when I read it. So going back to like you respecting all these actors and actresses uh, that you've worked with and in some cases just watched, is there any specific onset experience with an actress uh, or an actor? Uh, But since you mentioned the actresses, that just was an educational, enlightening experience that helped craft or or helped you evolve your own craft that maybe set you on a um, in a different direction. Well, I think that Kristen Krug is such a vulnerable, empathic, open, you know, she's the yin to Tess's yang, essentially. And so every day working with her was an interesting study in vulnerability. I think I learned a lot about vulnerability and sensitivity from Kristen because she just puts it in all of her work. So Kristen was a regular practice in sensitivity and professionalism. She had so much on-camera technique. And essentially, that's a big challenge as a novice actor is the balance of the technical with the art. That is a tricky line to walk. And, And Kristen was really excellent at it. Jay? was one of my favorite, you and Jay were my favorite people to work with when it came to comedy and looseness and, you know, just finding the light in these scenes. I think Sendel and Kristen were essentially like the real technical experts 
And Liz Rom was a huge influence in letting the crew in on the scene. She had a scene where she was very upset and she was, you know, playing the music for Gottfried and the focus puller and getting him in the mood. And because it's true, you know, the the camera operator and everybody in that room is a part of telling this story. And I mean, the crew is is on set all day. So they can get locked into a certain energy and it's like, no, no, no. Like, you know, this is what this energy is now. And to watch an actress, cause you know, it's a little, it can feel a little odd. It's a little, um, it's a vulnerable move. And I just remember that he seemed very almost um, grateful to be involved in her process and receptive and then you just felt the energy of the room change and that was very cool to me because essentially especially in auditions your your job is to change the molecules in the room and you know when you've done it and Liz was it was like I think the beautiful thing in the honor of being a series regular is that you get to work with so many professional people and see what's in their kit and then just take what you need and put it in yours and sometimes you're and a lot of the times you're well I would hope you're just constantly adding and then essentially you just trust that you you know you have your kit you have it you you know the song that you need to listen to to get those tears going or you know how to channel and just just step into your truth and be present because you've been doing all the work it's it's in your kit it's like if the craft of acting is the only art that you could actually steal something from another artist and make it your own you can't do it in painting or writing or music i mean i guess sampling is that but you're only limited to a very small thing and making it your own but acting you're like oh i like that i like how they approach that i like sharing my musical preparation with the the cameramen because they'll be able to sense where i'm coming from and maybe where i'm going to and be able to anticipate it or be in that zone uh where the molecules have changed do you feel the same thing about what we call chemistry do you feel like you know something that let's say liz did could engineer a certain amount of chemistry or do you think chemistry is something that happens magically in the ether? Oof, um, that's a really good question. I have a two-parter per usual, like nine-parters on these questions. <laughs> well, it's a two-part podcast, question. so you you got enough time. <laughs> I'll put it this way, and I'll just keep referring to Beauty and the Beast because, you know, it's the show I worked on the, the most, and it's how you and I know each other. Kristen and I did not do a chemistry read. Kristen and Jay did a chemistry read. And I've done chemistry reads. And I think I'm sure you have. And I think the key to doing a chemistry read is not doing a chemistry read. That's essentially, you can't engineer chemistry. And if you try to, you're already dead in the water. No, no, that's just not how it works. And when I got beauty and we all moved to Toronto, I was walking down the street. I hadn't met anybody, you know, just 
Oh, yeah, no, we were shooting the pilot and staying at that, what was it, an Intercontinental? Yeah. And I was walking down the street, you know, probably going to Whole Foods, and I saw her, and I had never met her before. And I said, Kristen? And she said, hi, and just hugged me. That's chemistry. That's chemistry. It was just, there was just nothing to do. And I think it was a big part of the casting was they knew on some level that she and I would have chemistry. Listen, romantic chemistry is a completely different thing. But I do think that, you know, a, a woman like Liz Rom, she's so powerful. And she, in her experience, and I mean, you know, she was a series regular on Law and & Order. And there is just a power in her. And I think... Liz was the first experience of really being humbled by my lack of experience <laughs> and letting a more skilled expert lead the way. But I also remember the ego death of it because, hey, well, you know, it's our show and there's a thing, there's a lot of ego on and anything having to do with the arts. We're monsters. And it was the, <laughs> I mean, these are just facts. And there, no, I mean, I say it all with love, but there's, I think every day you should experience some kind of ego death. I, I think it means that things are good. We are students always. And to work with such skilled actors, and especially because I had a lot of scenes with Liz, and she held me to a standard that I was not accustomed to, that I am always grateful for because there's no going back once you have that skill set now. And you and you can't manufacture it. It just comes with the job is, you know, sometimes you work with people who are, quote unquote, less experienced, but there there are things to learn. And oftentimes you're going to see, like with Edie Falco, I was, you know, the scene is I'm dying. Like I had just been like in a motorcycle accident and in the middle of the scene, Edie just goes, open your eyes more so you can use this on your reel. Right. She How said fucking that? cool is that? Yeah. I, wow. Right. And so, so badass. And I remember when we were like done shooting the scene. And I mean, Merritt Weaver was in the scene. I mean, these are noble and bullshit actresses, okay? I mean, this is, you know, what? <laughs> it doesn't get much better than this. And I just remember at the end of shooting, because our scene was, you know, I was fighting with her. So I, I was really trying to not let Edie know what a fan I was, because it's, a different animal when you're working with one of your heroes. It really is. And not only working with them, but they're exactly what you expected them to be. Actually, they're more, I mean, yikes. And I was very overwhelmed by the experience that at the end, you know, because Miss Emotions over here, I was like, I really love you. And I, she's like, what? And like, I do. Like, just like, and like, I hugged her. Because there was something just so, you know, 
cool and New York. And I know what step you're on right now. And I'm going to help you get to the next step. And when somebody of her caliber takes that time to really see you, that changed me as an actor. That changed me as a person to really see everybody's experience, to really respect everybody's experience and to be a part of the light, to be a part of the elevation is... It says everything about her as a person and as an artist. And I just remember like that kind of bar and that type of influence so early on in my career was a huge gift, a huge gift. Cause you know, you're at the mercy of the audition room, but a lot, you're also at the mercy of the cast of the production team of the location. And it's an incredibly vulnerable experience. And to have somebody go, Hey, Hey, let me help you out a little bit. Let me, let me, let me teach you a little something, but you can't, you know, you can't be embarrassed and you can't get bogged down in shame and then, and, and I do think that ultimately a big part of my journey as an actor is the journey that I have as a person in, I am receptive and open to all life experiences and the empathy that I try to have for other people I have to have for myself I think actors are outrageously hard on themselves and I wish that I could go if I was going to go back it would be to just say to younger me just have more fun just have more fun it's a very high pressure high stakes job and I think that actors and artists in general are so tough on themselves and so, um, you know, just again at the mercy of the room, you don't show yourself any mercy. How could you be good at this technical stuff when you've never done it before? Just allow yourself to not be good at some things and be open about the fact that you're not good at them and that you got to work on it. And I think that that helped me a lot. Like Kristen knew, dude, I thought that hitting your mark was a negotiation. Like, okay, you're going to walk in and you're going to land here. I was like, right. If I want to, I don't have to do that. Yes. Yes. You actually do. Like this isn't theater. This isn't a, a black stage in New York where you can just walk wherever you want and just do whatever right. you want. Like you have to be aware of where you the light is. You have to be in the light the and the focus. The lens. And I mean, she was so kind about it but I mean listen I would be doing scenes with Kristen she knew how to adjust me while we were rolling that's a skill that's something I wouldn't know how to do year one of course not and I I feel like for any actor just be very aware of you know your level of expertise and don't let your lack of expertise in different areas affect what you're good at. It's okay. And the more you're open about it, the more, like, if you need to reset, you need to reset. Sometimes, you know, when I'm shooting with Colleen, or actually I was just shooting something yesterday 
for a friend of mine and she just wanted to keep going back into the scene. Like we don't need to cut. We just, we'll just roll back into it. And sometimes I need to cut. Sometimes I need to cut. I, I just, I need that moment for space to get back into it. And you should feel safe to say that you should feel safe to go, Hey, turn the lights off. Yeah. Turn the lights off. Let's really refocus. Yeah. Because it's a trajectory, right? It's a trajectory that you're on. And sometimes I do think it takes a lot as an actor and because it's a great deal of vulnerability to go, this is what I need in order to do my best work and not be sorry for it. Yeah. I think there's an awareness or, there should be an awareness, especially with younger actors, that no matter what point in your career, you should know what you're good at and take pride in that and, and bring that forward with your work, but also be aware that you don't know what you don't know or you don't know what you haven't experienced and that there's an equal uh, uh, kind of a balancing act between what you know and what you don't know. And maybe later in your career, you'll know more than you don't know. But if you always go into something thinking that you don't know everything, that there is something to learn, I feel like that's a, that's a great jumping off point for any collaboration, any experience, especially artistically, where there's no you know, metric scale or algorithm that's gonna test if something comes out right or perfect. Well put, well put. This ends part two of our in-depth discussion. Keep listening to part three of my conversation with actress Nina Lissandrello. Thanks again to Nina Lissandrello for speaking with me. And thank you for listening. And thanks to my lifelong friend Jason Liebman and up-and-coming musical prodigy Dylan Hazen for composing and producing the Actor Speak intro music and theme song. It pays to have talented people in your life, and I'm extremely grateful for this sweet tune. One last note, I want to give a special shout-out to Jenny Josephson for her guidance in conceiving and producing this podcast. Thanks for all your advice, patience, and support. Subscribe to Actor Speak on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you'll be eligible to win some cool Actor Speak swag. Once again, thank you for listening. This was Actor Speak.